Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? Yeah, I mean, I think the bubble's going to burst a little bit, but I don't think it's going to pop all the way. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. it's going to be over, over. But, um, I just think that life is a series of bubbles popping, right? It's like a series. I yeah. see everything is so cyclical. And the thing that actually, funny enough, made me see it truly is watching fashion styles, right? So like the 90s are really in and I'm like cracking up at co-working and looking around because a lot of my co-working cohort are wearing 90s clothes because they're young. And I am just like, oh my God, I, I it, it is unbelievable how the things that that and this happens to every generation i mean we're not, i'm not yes. unique i know this but like i'm like oh if you want to look at how, why things are how things are cyclical look at the fashion like look at what is happening i mean the huge the mom jeans wide legs right but at the same time, how come like the forties haven't come back or the, or maybe they have, maybe they come back in little ways or the twenties. I want to, I want to, or the fifties even, you don't really hear, you don't really see, I guess maybe the fifth, late fifties and early sixties had somewhat of a resurgence with Mad Men and yeah. they did that whole co-branding with yeah. J. Crew. By the way, is J. Crew still a company? It is. I mean, I think they keep going oh. bankrupt, but then they keep getting saved. So uh, I know it's a company because I shop there at the outlets. So it's still around. I just don't okay. know. They're always, and I think they're all owned by like the Gap, right? Or like, I don't Pepsi. know. I don't know. <laughs> so basically Michael Jackson's estate owns. Yes, pretty much. I mean, I wouldn't be, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. Okay. That leads me to, to this thing I wanted to give you an update about, which Ooh. is that I finally finished watching uh, Don't Look Up. Oh, the McKay. I'm back on the Adam McKay train. I thought it was a great movie. I I give it a, I give it a thumbs up. I completely understand. I've never read specific criticisms of it, but I completely understand that some people don't like it. And it had kind of a sensibility to me, a kind of an absurdist sensibility that a lot of people just don't care for connect with because it just feels too outside. Like, I like a lot of things that that get really panned when you know that that yes. are flops. Yes, like I like Joe vs. the Volcano, which is a total commercial flop. I loved that movie. I think that movie is fucking brilliant, and I it is so good. Realize that I get a lot of my language from that movie in terms of I I go I'm like oh my god she's such a liberty gibbet. She's such a liberty gibbet. I have a T-shirt that says I'm not arguing that with you, and has a picture of Dan Hidea sitting at his desk. I mean that. God, I challenge you to find a better piece of solo performance and phone acting than Dan Hedaya in um, Joe versus the Volcano. Joe versus the Volcano. Brilliant. So good. So good. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Anyway, so 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 don't look up. Yeah, it's um well, it's absurd because it is absurd the way that we've completely trashed yeah. this planet in such a short period of time. And also the way in which we're just, we, we both, we simultaneously know this and just keep doing all the same things that we've always done. Like, yeah. Even people yeah. who are cr- climate warriors 
who are doing the most, I, I feel like it doesn't matter anymore. It's all over. Yeah. I mean, I think that I just get this, this feeling that we're too late and maybe, and, and this is just always what I come down to. And I think it's easier for me because I, in some ways to say this, cause I don't have children, but like, maybe this is supposed to be happening since it's happening. Like maybe we did this and then we have to face the consequences. Like we're always so used to being saved. Never having to face consequences. Being saved mm-hmm. by something yeah. or someone. Like maybe mm-hmm. this is it for us. And look, maybe there's another species that could come and do a better job. Like we we can't be the only what no like, girl we we cannot be the only ones and and what's funny about the are you gonna watch the movie don't look up no i don't want to spoil it for you. okay so you know the whole thing is about there's a comet coming and right. the scientists are going to the president and the, they're trying to figure out how to spin it and they, what they finally come up with is with this steve jobs type character that the technology guy played to perfection by mark rylance um comes up with this technological solution to he's going to send these missiles and they're going to attach themselves to the comet because 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 the comet actually has this very precious metal that they need to that they need for of course of course right so so they it's like this thing where they send these 20 missile drones whatever they are that are supposed to attach themselves to the comet and then break it into pieces so that it just lands in the ocean and doesn't hurt anybody but of course it fails yeah and at the very last minute, Meryl Streep, who plays the president, her character um, gets into she call she make she calls Leonardo DiCaprio's character and says, "Listen, we've got these eight pods, and they fit four people a piece or something like that. And the idea is, if you get in it, you know, it's something that's going to survive Armageddon." So he says, "No, thanks," and and <laughs> presumably it's just her and maybe this Mark Rylance guy the end of the movie shows 22,000 years later and those pods land on the planet. I don't know. I guess it's earth, which has been repopulated with (laughs) dinosaurs and all the pods land and everybody gets out and and they're all, they're all (laughs) girl. Yes. I would never have guessed that, but that's exactly what happened. But before that, what you notice is that everybody who gets out of the pods is all old white people. So that they're going to, this is the people who are going to repopulate the, the planet. Brilliant. And then, and then Meryl Streep's character gets dragged away by a pterodactyl. Great. It was just beautiful. I just, I loved it. I absolutely I mean, adored it. It's perfect. That's a perfect ending. Yeah. That's yeah. Well, yeah. way well. That is like crafted the hell out of a story that is crafted well. I mean, I think so. I think so. And if, and if, and I guess my thing is like, if you don't think so if people think it's so, I guess that's what happens with, for me, in absurd things is that I think what people don't like about it is it just feels too far-fetched. But see, those those things don't feel that far-fetched to me. I mean, maybe it's not going to happen in exactly that way in these pods and then people landing down and they're all naked. Maybe it's not that. They were naked? But- yeah, I didn't, I didn't really, I guess it was supposed to be like the Garden of Eden. Oh, I guess it was oh, supposed oh. to be like the, yeah. Um, but something like that can and will happen it, it it may not look exactly like it did in this movie but it's not really that absurd i guess that's the thing is like a lot of these absurd things are it's not that it's heightened but it's not that far off the mark do you know what i'm saying i know exactly what you're saying and also 
Look, I think, again, it comes down to psychology of nobody wants to admit that we've done this to ourselves. Completely. No, yeah. you, 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 the human mind cannot can only take so much, like, truth, right? We've mm-hmm. done this. No, nobody did this to us. We did this. You know, I always think of, and this is just something that you said, but it was literally 2000 and. I want to say around two when you lived in Chicago, was it like 2007? The second time? Um, yeah, 2000. Uh, well, we moved there in 2004 and then we left in 2007 or eight. Yeah. Okay. So it was, it was, it was right after. So it was right around there, right before you moved. And I was at your apartment and, um, <laughs> and we were re- talking about recycling and I was like, Oh, do you guys recycle? And you're like, no, just put it over there. Aaron hates the environment. And it, <laughs> it was, and, and he doesn't, and I'm not saying that he does or anything like that, but it was so funny. And I now <laughs> say that all the time when I do something because we all do it. That is not planet affirming. I go, Oh, I hate the environment. And, yeah. and that's like this movie, right? It's like, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it's like absurd. You're like, yeah, it's Aaron, absurd. It's absurd. Because Aaron hates the environment. He, he hates the environment. Yeah. That, I used to say that all the time. I forgot about that. Well, and recycling is just a complete and total joke. Yeah. I mean, unless we did it the way that um, they do it in Japan where right. they really recycle, they have 15 different bins yep. and everybody's very um responsible and yeah it's because they're very community oriented right by the way have you seen these videos on tiktok um that go like a single a single woman a single woman going home after work and they take and i i've only seen three of them and they they seem to all be in japan okay it's fascinating i'm gonna send one to you so it's a meme, I guess, because I've seen three different videos that have the same sort of idea, which is it's a video of a woman coming home to her apartment at the end of her workday, going inside. And then what happens next is a series of probably a hundred very complex, but but maybe not even that complex, but like very prescribed steps that they do when they get home so this one she gets home she immediately puts her shoes in this place and she immediately cleans off oh yeah and then she puts on these slippers that have been sitting in a antibacterial chamber and then she and then she makes herself a full like three-course meal but using all of these machines I've never seen before, it's a bunch of it's a bunch of like put this what? thing to this machine. I, I I I'm not doing justice describing it. And put puts her glasses into a sanitizing tray. I mean, it just like on the one hand, I think, wow, what an impeccable order to your life. And the other hand, I think. What a prison! You have to do that every single time. Yeah, you come yeah, home. yeah. I'm gonna send it to you because I, I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are. I've seen like snippets of that, and I, I, I haven't watched the whole thing, so I'd love to watch the whole thing. But yeah, I know what you're saying in terms of it's, it's insane, and yet it serves some purpose, and I'm sure it probably keeps her cleaner and also sickness doesn't happen. I don't know. Right. And also like 
one of the things that seems so unrealistic for if it was me as a single person, I would never as a single person come home and cook myself a full meal. Like I would come home and eat cheese and crackers and have an apple and call it a day. Right. But maybe this adherence to a structure both feels, makes her feel less alone, you know, more connected to like her culture or whatever. And like, maybe it's much better self-care. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe this is self-care. Yeah. The other thing that I've seen that are similar, and I do believe it's been from Japan as well, are the beauty routines in the morning before work. Okay. Okay. Like in, in, involved. Intense. There's like 40 steps. I, I, wow. I, 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 it is, uh, awe and awe inspiring, but also both like what she looks great. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not knocking that, but it, it literally, the steps maybe 40 steps. There's like all kinds of creams and salves and lotions and buffing and then eyelashes and make, and then that's just that. And then the makeup and the hair, it literally, it looks like, I mean, she probably has it down to a, like a really fast routine, but if I tried that, it would be like four hours and then I would never leave. And a disaster and yeah. you would never look as good as, yeah, I know. I think about that a lot with the whole beauty thing. Like <clears throat> when I see somebody who does that, I have so much respect and appreciation for like the amount of dedication that it takes to do that. I just can't bring myself to get excited about that. Um, When I watched the real housewives, I realized that like they, they have to do that. This is their thing. This is the thing that they offer to the world. I'm not saying it is their only talent or it is their only value. I'm just saying like, for whatever reason, it's been decided that this is their commodifiable right. resource. Right. And they got to like, treat it seriously. Like the Kardashians. I mean, they are, that's their job is to look a certain way and like newscasters in some way to talk about this. And like, I'm not knocking it. I just think it's a bad career fit for me. Like it's not. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it would never. Just work like for being me. a flight attendant for me was probably be a terrible Mm-mm. or Mm-mm. yeah, Mm-mm. something something where I'd have to do that. Not a good fit. Not a good fit. Not a good fit. Hey, let me run this by you. on somebody else's podcast and it was so interesting to watch a host and it was only like 20 minutes it was like so short compared to our and and he talks about that um compared to our podcast which is long but um uh it was interesting it was like it was like just interesting to watch the whole thing go down I had so many feelings of like oh I wish we had longer. Oh, uh, this is fun. Oh yeah. Okay. It just all the things, you know, cause we're yeah. never interviewed. Right. Yes. We're never interviewed. And I was pretty impressed with how, how well, I mean, being able to package something into a, into a smaller package is, is a skill pe- people need to have when you have a product essentially that you're trying to sell. I was worried about my ability to condense anything that I wanted to say into something that, you know, but we both 
did beautifully with that. Yeah, we're actors. I mean, look, this is acting. We were trained to do this. Like if you stand on stage and you don't deliver your lines in a, in a way that is like somewhat uh, cohesive, right. Or like, I don't know. Interesting. You're never, you're going to be kicked right off the stage. Like, like I'm at the Apollo style. So like when push comes to shove, I do feel like actors, especially, yeah, actors, but humans too, will do the thing they need to do. Like when push comes to shove, most of us, some of us freeze and then it's like a whole, and I love those moments because that's like my fear. Right. So when that actually happens, not to me, but when that happens to other people, like, uh, watching that on television, you know, that's what we watch when people freeze and everything goes haywire. Uh, uh, I live for those moments. I don't want them to happen to me. But I <laughs> right, right, right. so I was thinking of you and I forgot to tell you about this. Um, I went to see that play with Ed Ryan. Shout out, Ed. Hey, he listens. Hey, he's also um, my buddy this month. So I, we've been we've been talking. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. So we went to see this play and it was in previews. And in the first like <laughs> 10 minutes, what happened? This, I just saw this woman just completely go, go up on her lines. And she was in a scene with one other person. Okay. And so the other person said, Well, what about, you know, and weren't you telling me that worked for a little while? And then she was just so lost. She was just so. Do you think she was panicking inside? Or was she just like, you know, I don't know what's happening. She, I can't imagine how she wouldn't be panicking, but at the same time, she did not look like she was panicking. Interesting. And and I heard something that I've never heard before. The stage manager came over the god mic and gave her her line. Wow. I don't know why she didn't have an earpiece, right? If this was a problem well, for maybe her. Well, maybe it wasn't. Some... Like, maybe she had been doing great. Like, maybe it was first preview. Yeah, I'm actually not sure which preview was. I didn't know it was previews until after. Um, Wow. And she was an older woman. So that's one thing I've heard. In fact, I have asked people to be in stuff that they've said no to because they feel they're too old to memorize a lot of lines for a play. Yeah. I mean, that is a real thing too. Like I, your member, so I think partially what happens to me too and why I'm so not keen to be an actor anymore is that as I go through menopause my memory gets weird mixed with anxiety mixed with I mean it's a whole plethora but I I respect people that are like oh memorization not for me you know like yeah rather than putting yourself in that position an earpiece you know like I I was in a play this is fantastic so I was at a play at the at the amazing uh Red Orchid Theater which is the Michael Shannon you know anyway so I was in a play I was actually the understudy but I went on a bunch and um the lead actor literally had it was the Wallace Shawn play evening at the talk house. So really, but his mod, his whole, the, we open on the guy speaking for like five minutes and it is That's a Wallace Shawn special. Yeah. He loves that. And so this actor had an earpiece. Um, and I, at first I was really judgmental about it, but what he did was he 
didn't use it through the whole thing, but he used it throughout rehearsals to just hear it and hear it. And then it was like training wheels. He took it off, but he did wear it, I think, during a preview and you could hear it. That wasn't the good thing. That's not a good, that took me out. And I just told the stage manager because I was in the audience, um, you know, during dresses and stuff. And I just said, Hey, like, I just want to let you know. And she said, Oh, he does this all the time. He'll take it off before opening. But um, so great for him. But I, people use them all the time. Pacino uses them. Like people use them. And then there's the whole other problem that we were hearing about when we heard, um, Kate talk about going on, you know, in Androcles. And and then the, the thing is, if you're not used to getting prompted by an ear mic, like a newscaster is, then, then it's very confusing for and you. You know. look crazy. Cause you're and like, you- <laughs> I mean, I, I, so, so yeah. And I've had auditions where, oh my gosh, this was where I thought I'm, I, I, it, it turned out everyone had this problem, but the thing about auditioning is you think it's just you. So like, unless you talk to the other auditioners later, uh, auditionees, whatever. So, so, um, there was an audition, a commercial audition where they were like, you'll, we'll have the copy up on a board, right? Like on a, and so don't remember, you don't, and they didn't actually give us the copy, right? In before we show up, the person running the audition was this woman who's no longer in the business, who's a giant asshole. And she had the thing up, but it was so much, it was written teeny. You couldn't read. Okay. Okay. okay, So that was the first problem. And I didn't have glasses because my parents are assholes and they never gave me glasses. So I couldn't see. And also there was a tremendous amount of action we were supposed to be doing (laughs) while it was hilarious. So I couldn't get it. Like I couldn't get it. And by the end, she was like, that's great. You got it. And I didn't get it. I walked out and I burst into tears and I was, because I was like, and I called my agent. She's like, don't worry about it. Then I'm waiting for the bus. This is in Chicago. And I see another actress in tears coming out. And I said, Oh my God, did you audition? She goes, yes. I go, Oh my God, it's not us. And then it turns out we all got online and started talking about it. Cause it's, there's like a Chicago actors group and they were like, who was just that blah, blah everyone she made everyone cry because you couldn't read the and the person who ended up she's no longer in the business she got her ass kicked out but the but the person the casting director but the person who booked it earpiece had an earpiece so wait how did on set not in the so oh on set okay yeah so she later we found out the person the woman Gail who booked it had I know her she's amazing but she said they had to do an earpiece literally it was folding laundry cutting coupons uh, doing all these things while this huge monologue like maybe I don't know like like three minutes of dialogue straight up to the camera and you it was a completely cold yeah. read they didn't give yeah. you any sign no, no. I wonder why because she's an idiot. She is a okay. total idiot. This casting director okay. was terrible. She's not in the business. She was not a big cast. She was like, a, she was also so rude. She was like, well, I don't understand the problem. Just relax. I love that, that you guys all then like got together. I mean, oh. this is the thing that happens, right? Is that actors just feel alone. Yeah. And I, I wrote agonies. 
I saw her. I was at the bus stop and I saw this woman coming out who I vaguely knew at the time and crying. And I said, oh my God, I just have to ask you, were you just in that commercial audition? And she goes, yeah, it was horrible. I said, oh my God, girl, girl, I got to tell And then I made her feel better. and She made me feel better. And then we became friends. And then we talked shit about the lady for a while, called our agents and it was fine. And our agents were like, fuck that lady, you know? So it works out, but man, it was traumatizing. I was like... <laughs> Uh, oh, of course it was. That just makes me think about how many things in this world rely upon people not having all of the information. Like yep. this person, were it not for the ability of the actors to coalesce and talk about something she did wrong, she would probably still, you know, yep. be be in this position. And and a lot of things do seem to rely upon like people not figuring out something. Like I think about this in terms of things that people are selling. And I think, you know, I, I don't have a specific example, but I know that just yesterday I was thinking, oh, this whole model relies upon people not realizing that they, if they just did this, they could do it for free. Right. You know, and I hate that kind of, um, I hate that kind of making a buck. Like I'm okay with hustling to make a buck, but if your whole thing is, yeah. for, you know, propped up by the lie that, that right. actually, if the person just, you know, pressed F7, they would never have to pay you $39.99 a month. If you just copy and paste, you're fine. Like, you know, that is so true. But there's so many things like that. I got to say, like, everybody, I'm wearing these noise canceling headphones. They're so heavy that, like, I'm getting yeah. hurts. I have to, you can't see me, but I'm doing these neck rolls. I've never had headphones like this. I, I literally feel I'm underwater, but that's okay. Yeah. After you have to take them off after a while, cause they, they, they start to hurt your ears. I, I mean, I literally I am, which reminds me of when we were in college, Don Ilko, our acting teacher uh, member had us do a physical change exercise, right? We had to mm -hmm. physically drastically change something about our physical appearance. Do you remember this? Oh, everyone had to vaguely. do something. People shaved their heads. For me, I thought, okay, I'm good. I didn't know what to do. So, um, I mean, it's a stupid exercise. I, I got to be honest. Like, you, it doesn't matter. Like, who? It, it was just to see what people would do. I think he did that, and and good for him. I mean, he could do whatever he want. But like, you had to radically physically change something about your physical appearance for like three months or something. It wasn't like forever or whatever. It was called physical change. I remember, and everyone's like, "Oh, what are you going to do for your physical change?" And what did you? What did you do? Okay, well, this reminds me. I thought, "Oh, this will be great. I'll get a per <laughs> I'll get a perm." Okay, so I go to this hair salon. First of all, I have such thick hair that they yes, had to put it in. It would take you seven hours well, to do a perm. More than that, they've had to put in three sets of rollers, <laughs> which are heavy. I couldn't lift my head out of the bowl. <laughs> So then they had to get assistance to come and lift my head. My head weighed like 20 pounds, right? And they were like, this is not, this is a terrible idea. But I was like, I'm screwed. I don't even, I already have wavy hair. It's not that big of a change. Who gives a fuck? It costs $300 in 1990, oh whatever. So at Art and Science in Chicago. And then. Oh, I remember yeah. that place. So, Okay. They lifted my head up. It it was a nightmare. It took like five hours, and then and then the thing lasted maybe a day. I don't know what happened because oh, you maybe you washed it too fast or something. I I, I don't know what happened, but it la it was the biggest waste of money that I and time and but anyway, my head was. I've never been in a position where my head was so heavy that I couldn't I, move it on my own. 
Oh, that's horrible. Do you, do you remember what you did? I'm. It must have been because uh, I remember bleaching. No, um, I did my tattoo the summer between my first and second year. I think. Today on the podcast, we are talking to Jenna Eversberger. In her own words, Jenna Eversberger is a smoky voice sketch comedy actress turned TV writer. She writes dark comedies that center around female anti-heroes, and she is the voice of ads on the Wondery podcast. So please enjoy our conversation with Jenna Eversberger. Eversberger, congratulations, you survived theater school. Thank you. <laughs> Yay. Yay! And you survived it. Boz, is she our first Columbia grad? I feel like do, you might do, be our first. We've had do, 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 do. we only had someone oh. that teaches there. Oh my god. Jennifer. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Oh, and Jen Cober. Actually, Jen Cober, right? Didn't she get kicked out? Or she got kicked Somebody out of Somebody who got kicked out of DePaul graduated from there. But anyway. I don't even know if Jen Cobra graduated from Columbia, but maybe she did. Anyway, she, sorry, Jen it. Cobra, if you're listening. She's not listening. She doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> okay. Listening. Okay. Okay. So, but you're in LA. You're originally from LA. Yeah. You went to college in Chicago and now you're back correct, in LA. Correct, correct, correct. Yes. I feel like you made the right decision. You know what? Well, it's funny. When I, like growing up in LA, I grew up around... Hollywood, like everyone's dad or mom was like in the business. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to be a real theater actor. Like I'm going to, I'm going to study and be like, whatever. And terrible idea. Terrible idea. <laughs> right. Like I'm already back. Um, but yeah, so that's why I chose Chicago is one of my reasons was I was like, well, it's such a great theater town. And, you know, so I'm just going to do it. I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave this place behind. <laughs> so now we're back. But but now you're back. because Now, presumably, you came back because it's really hard to live in Chicago. I mean, unless you, um, even if you really love it, it's hard to live there, right? It's cold. Yes. It's I mean, my first year in Chicago, being an L.A. gal, I had no idea how to dress. So I got pneumonia. I got my first there because I didn't understand layering and so I wore like Ugg boots and got like wet feet oh <laughs> no yeah I was oh, like no. I remember Ugg boots yeah because I was like these are fine like these are warm not realizing that like they soak <laughs> up you know water and smell. so um so my first year I was like holy crap what am I doing here I don't know how to do this but I actually I stayed in Chicago for like almost 10 years and um, I love Chicago. I love it. It was one of those things that I started um, kind of pivoting into writing. And and that's when I was like, more, there's more opportunities in LA. You know, all the writing rooms are basically in LA. And so that was the bigger decision uh, to move back to LA. But And uh, forgive me my if my internet goes wonky. We've got like, it's crazy. We have two people working here and you'd think there was like a whole team of NASA trying to use the internet. <laughs> it's me and my husband. Ridiculous. Anyway, um, but um, so I was telling Beans how I know you and how I know you is we were both at Shirley Hamilton yep. and they asked me if I would come in and read because they were short staffed and I came in and read and you were doing a thing for a Disney um a movie or pilot yes. or something. And you were so good. I was oh. like, oh my gosh, I hope she books this and she should book everything. And then we kind of stayed in touch. Yeah. 
And then I must have reached out to you like a real weirdo when I lived here. How did I, that? I don't even I know. I honestly don't know if it was you or if it was me. Like, I I don't know. Well, I'm going to say it's you because okay. I'm always the weirdo. So that's better. <laughs> I'll take it. I'm not in this case. Yeah, I'll take yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think we were just like, because I maybe reached out to you because I'm, I'm still looking, like I'm still acting. And so I was like looking um, for an agent out here. And I think I was just like, I know you help (laughs) yeah yeah no that's what you have to do you have to literally you have to do call upon every single person that you've ever known um so but you wanted to be a serious theater Mm -hmm. actress and and i what i know about you now is that you became a sketch comedy writer so like what happened there (laughs) well what's so funny is like comedy has always been my thing like my first play ever i played a french boy it was like a French boy oh. that was like the comic relief. <laughs> and so like comedy has always been number one thing. But I fell in love with Shakespeare when I was in high school. Uh, my theater, my high school theater teacher, Mr. Whalen, love him. Amazing guy. Uh, big Shakespeare guy. And actually my tattoo is I have a Hamlet tattoo on my wrist. <laughs> oh, I, that, I didn't that. know that. That's awesome. Well, act four, scene five of Hamlet, when Ophelia goes crazy or, you know, mad. And she says, we know what we are, but know not what we may be. And 18 year old me was like, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to be. You really get me, Ophelia. Uh, you really uh, get me. <laughs> so, so that's kind of where the seriousness came in. My uh, Mr. Whalen was, he introduced me to Uta Hagen. I mean, he introduced me to, to it all, you know, Sam Shepard and, and all the serious and whatnot. And so that was, that was the decision was I was like, I want to do theater. I don't want to do TV. I want to do theater. Um, and I did. It was great. <laughs> Well, how did you pick Columbia? Like, were you like, I'm going, yeah. How did you pick Columbia? Oh my God. Well, actually that is like such a different story. That's a sad, like a sad Oh, it story. has a boy. Is it involving a boy? It involves my, uh, my high school sweetheart. It's a very long story, but basically um, my high school sweetheart and I had made a pact and we were like, we're going to go to college together, but he was a year younger than me. And so we had decided like, oh, like we both like wanted to go to Chicago And so I was like, great, I'll go first. And I had like, I had applied to Northwestern, uh, didn't get in and got into Columbia. Totally forgot about DePaul, by the way. Like, I knew about her. (laughs) I knew about DePaul. Anyway, um, so that's why. That was kind of like, I mean, if I'm being honest, like the real reason that I was like, I'm going to go. And then he broke up with me two weeks later. It was tragic. That is shocking. I did not expect that part in the story where your <laughs> actually boyfriend broke up with you two weeks after you moved to another for state. Him. <laughs> I know. Who for him. Yeah. Well, well, at least no. he didn't die. True. He didn't die, right? No. Okay, good. No. <laughs> not, not yet. Okay. So, so, so you go to Columbia College and you're planning to be a serious actress, but then they had a bunch of like comedy offerings in terms of courses. Is that oh, what yeah, it was? Yeah. So, um, well, funny enough, when I first went to Columbia, I was not a theater major. My dad, my dad basically said in his nicest way possible, like, I won't pay for it. Um, so you should do something else and like audition for the plays. So when I first went to Columbia, my major was broadcast journalism. Oh. And my minor was theater. 
And then I was miserable <laughs> my first my first year with the pneumonia included. Um, but I took I took a scene study class second semester of freshman year with Kanisha Foster. If you guys know Kanisha, oh, she's the reason I and I went to to Stevens really? College. Oh, yeah. Um, and then but and then when she left Stevens College, Kanisha, when she got fired, I I quit the school. I. She, yes, I, I. She's amazing. Adore, I mean, like I, I kid you not. Like she reignited that like passion for theater for me, and so I switched. So I switched my major to theater, and then had my minor be journalism. Um, and and it was great. And then I found out that Columbia was offering something called comedy studies, which is a semester over at the Second City. And I was like, oh my God. And I didn't think I was going to get in, um, but I applied and it was like, it was like applying, you know, basically to college all over again. Um, and I got in. And so I, I, that was my junior year. So that was fall semester of my junior year. And that, I mean, that changed the game. Like I had. Wait, did you have Jen Ellison uh, as a teacher? Yes, I sure no? did. Oh, she's our buddy. She was been on our show. I saw. Yeah, I freaking love okay. Jen. Jen is amazing. Okay. They're all amazing. Like I had um, Jet Evelith was one of our teachers. I mean, it, it was just such an amazing experience, and it really did. It like changed the game for me because I was like always dabbled in it, always the comic relief, always had fun, you know, doing that. But then it was like the history of comedy and like really immersing myself. It was a whole. It was like a study abroad, basically. So I only went to Second City for a whole semester. Awesome. It was freaking amazing. And Ann Libera is like the whole, like the mama, the queen of it. She started it. And it was, yeah, it changed everything. And that. Who is that? Who started it? I'm sorry. So Ann Libera, she, um, she, she was at oh, Second City. Oh, right. So she started comedy and studies. Married to. Yes. Kelly Leonard. Correct. Yes. Who who started, who was also, yeah. Right. Okay, great. Right. And so um, that's where I learned to write sketches, though. And that's where I started to pivot into writing, um, was through comedy studies. But, um, but yeah. So this is an interesting question, cause, because uh, theater conservatories do the same thing. They teach you acting, but then you learn the history of dramatic literature. I mean, you're meant to learn that. And you, you study sort of the, the complete, um, all, all aspects of theater. Uh, I think that's good, you know, in terms of having a well-rounded person. But I'm curious to know what you think about that in terms of comedy. Like, how much did it enhance your education to be doing the history of comedy and, and taking a more academic approach to it than you might have otherwise. Well, I'm, a, I'm a big old nerd anyway. Like I love reading and like history was always a like my best subject other than theater. Um, and I think it really helped. I like it like opened up so many doors for me to be like, oh, and this is why we are. And like, this is how this developed. And this is how we can also develop from like an idea or you know like watching something that inspires you like what does that mean oh I can go into this route I don't know if I'm making any sense it meant a lot to me yeah no it does yeah no you know what's interesting is like I think it's interesting to study the history of something that you actually give a fuck about versus so like 
comedy. I actually that sounds fun. Study the history of comedy. It was cool. versus studying for me the history of film when I did it in grad school before I dropped out was I found it interesting about ten percent of the time yeah. because I actually don't give I don't actually care about the art of filmmaking as much as I care about like the history of like funny women in films. Yes. Like that would be fantastic. Yes. So okay, so that sounds really cool. Exactly. Yeah, that that was like for me exactly that like the the funny women like I was like wow so they haven't really been given a chance <laughs> like you know like realizing like how far we haven't come <laughs> like you know or like how far we've come but like how there's barely any time between like you think it's so long ago that like you know, women weren't allowed to do it's it's been like this amount of time. Like no time at all. Is, by the way, is that Doris snoring? Buzz? Yeah, I'm sorry. I can hear I can hear Doris <laughs> yeah. snoring. That's okay. I was like, is that's that okay. your tummy? Um <laughs> no, no, that's, yeah, that's what I thought too. I'm so that's sorry. what I thought too. No, no, that's okay. No, but learning about the history of women doing anything, I mean, since today's the first day of Black History Month, it's the same as learning about the history of black Americans that you've just never heard of oh, before. Yeah. You're like, wow, how did the, how did all of this just wide swath of information never yeah. come my direction. Yeah. It's wild. Okay. So you, uh, so I'm guessing that while you were doing that, you were really seeing yourself as a sketch performer, second city sketch performer, but you didn't stay in Chicago forever. So what happened yeah. in that transition? Well, it's funny because when you, <laughs> any kind of sketch comedy or any, you know, cause I'm in the groundlings out here in LA it's it's a little culty like it's uh not in a bad way but like it's like a community right so you get really sucked in um and so I did I got really sucked in to Second City um because I enjoyed it so much and like I felt like I'm good at this so I should you know like when I'm good at something I should probably keep doing it um but yeah I don't know I I got an agent um from my senior showcase at Columbia so I immediately had an agent after graduation which was great so I, I did start auditioning, you know, for other things, which uh, was fabulous, but it was um, interesting. The things that I was auditioning for through my agent, you know, uh, Chicago Med, Chicago PD, Chicago, just all the Dick Wolf shows. Right. There's um, no comedy. There was no, no comedy. comedy. And I kid you not, there's one, <laughs> I almost booked. I think it was med Chicago med. I was um, basically on call. Like it was like the night before. And I was like waiting to hear if I like booked it. Cause I had a director session, whatever. And it was a role of a girl who um, she comes in, they think she's drunk, but really we find out later she has, um, Oh crap. Now I'm forgetting what it is with the ticks. What is it when it's yes, Lyme, 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 Lyme disease? Lyme's disease. Oh. Yes. No. Oh, I thought you meant verbal tips. Oh, no. No, no. <laughs> Lyme's disease. Thank you, Gina. Um, and I was, like, thinking, I was like, why did I get so far with this? And I was like, oh, right, because it was kind of funny. Like, it was, like, kind of a funny role. And I had, like, I had gotten callbacks and stuff before, but I had never gotten that far. And I was like, right, because it's funny. And I was like, I don't think there's any, I don't know, like, like at the time I moved at the end of now my cat's screaming. 
Okay. <laughs> it's okay. We're just having a animal day themed episode. Yeah, yeah no right. Um, so I left. I moved to LA at the end of 2018, and at that time, it was it was still just all the drama Dick Wolf shows. And I'm like, I don't know. I've been going at this for a little while, um, and I just don't know if I'm going to book any of these things. Like, I just don't know if this is if I am this kind of network drama actor. So maybe I'll go somewhere that has a little more variety in terms of TV. Um, cause I was, I was doing well with theater and stuff. Like I was working in theaters and, and all that. But... Why didn't you, what about like the second city route? Like, were you not like in terms of finishing the, cause did you, did you do all the levels and then like, yeah. Okay. So why not stay there and try to get on the main stage and all that crap where you were like, I'm out of here. Well, that's hard. So oh, just tell the <laughs> truth. The truth. <laughs> just tell us the truth. You don't have to say names. No, 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 but no. Why was why is it hard? Well, I think it is. Um, like I was saying, it's a community. It's a little culty. Um, and it's a little favorites. There's favorites. Oh, so politics. Politics. Yeah. Um, but I will also say I'm not blaming this on anybody else. I also was 21, and oh. perhaps you know not very mature and like taking things as seriously as as I think I would now. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it became, I got really discouraged. Um, so I did the conservatory. I, I finished that in a year, which I was, whoa, yeah. So I didn't have to repeat anything, which I was like, again, I was like, Ooh, like great. Good for me. I kind of wish I was made to repeat some things. Maybe. I don't know. Um, because then my ego, I was like, right. I was like, I finished the conservatory without having to repeat anything. Um, I should be on Torco. I should be on the boats. I should whatever. And um, I just didn't have very good auditions for the generals uh, because I get very nervous. Um, and again, I truly think I was very young and, you know, with time comes wisdom. But like at the time I was just like, stupid, stupid, bad, you're bad. Like you didn't get it right away. Therefore you're bad. And it's just like, that's just not how it goes that is not i no one else believe that anyone listening do not believe that <laughs> yes right right well you may have been immature in that way at that time but at the same time your understanding about what you just said about maybe you're not a leading dramatic actor in the dick wolf universe <laughs> that requires a, a, a huge degree of self-awareness how much or how little did the college experience put you in a position to understand who you were market-wise. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely love Columbia. I think they did such a beautiful job of preparing all of us for what it's really like. I mean, I'm telling you, like, that's why, like, I, I left the gates, like, just, like, running because we had uh, Barbara Robertson, if you know Barbara. She had, um, like, a senior survival class where like we do mock auditions we do mock um call back you know interviews and it, it was just so helpful because you could say okay you know what I, like for me I love musicals but I'm not a singer and so like quickly I was like ah like watching the other musical theater people going ah I could do it a little bit but not to the extent that needs it needs to be done um, and it was just like, like college was so, like the conservatory is such a comfy environment to realize those things, you know, like there's so many people being like, that's okay, because 
Wait, what year? You you're way younger than we are. What year? Because this sounds like the greatest school ever. What I, year were you there? I was there. I I was started fall of two thousand nine, and then I graduated a semester early. Um, so I was I graduated December of, of two thousand twelve, but but basically two thousand thirteen okay. is. Great. So just recent. I just want to, because it sounds like Columbia has really stepped up in terms of, of preparing students for um, graduation, which I want to say bravo. Um, Okay. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Um, Okay. So when you decided to move back to LA, what was your, what was your intention? How, How did you see that this next chapter going and, and how, how is that going? Is it, go, is it's it actually, sort of going the way you were it, hoping? It is in some ways, it, it, it definitely is in some ways. And then other ways it's like, Oh, it's tough. Um, so it's funny. I, I wrote a, a web series kind of pilot thing with my friends in 2018 and we crowdfunded and then we made it. And then we had meetings for it. Like we were shopping it and it was such a, uh, I was like, wow, like I could do this. Like I could, I could write my own stuff and act in my own stuff and look at like, this is my first thing and I'm already taking meetings. I should go and do that. Um, and so when I moved out here, it's so funny. Cause I was like, I think LA is just going to like me better. Like, I think like LA is <laughs> just like, cause I'm from there like they have comedy, like it's just going to be my place. And I have to say, I don't think that's necessarily incorrect. Um, I've gotten a lot of really cool opportunities since being out here. I would say like the acting stuff has been the toughest. That that has been the hardest uh, nut to crack because um, I, I'm really struggling to find like an agent out here, even with like all, you know, all of this stuff on the resume it's just a bigger pool uh and so so that was not surprising I knew it wasn't going to be easy but I think um in terms of like my writing and my voiceover work that's been great that's been like I I got it we're hustling feeling good wait so I, I for for those people I mean you I don't know if you could talk about it but you're the voice one of the voices on Wondery right are you still doing that yes no yeah so I do okay that. I want are you able to talk about yeah. that I don't want to make I don't want to start talking okay because you have a great voice and Wondery <laughs> is one of my favorite things of all time so how did you land Wondery oh my God. and then yeah yeah, the yeah funny again I love it funniest story so um I'm a huge fan of the podcast my favorite murder because you know who isn't and um i was on, <laughs> i was on a facebook group called like uh like my favorite murder murderinos la murderinos <laughs> yes. and this girl named ali she like posted being yeah. like hey i work for wondery i'm looking for local voiceover talent to do like a few spots like blah blah and so i jumped on it and i like facebook messaged her and i gave her my reel i gave her my uh demo reel and she booked me and it was like, that's amazing. She was, and she's so kind. I freaking love her. Um, but that was, we started November, 2019 and it's still going and I work weekly. Like I work all the time. And I love that. Yeah. And I also love, because I know most of the murderinos are female. I love the idea that it would always gets proven over and over again is that whenever 
women kind of join together and and view what they're doing as you know a rising tide lifts all boats and yep. you know when somebody does something it's a feather in all of our caps like the more people can embrace that idea instead of the opposite which is kind of how we're trained to be which is you know claw the competition and you know get, get everybody else out of your way it is it's, it's completely unnecessary what was the competition factor like at columbia um competition at columbia i have to say it was it felt pretty easy breezy you know because we're not a conservatory you know necessarily it's like um anyone can take whatever class and um i mean you know obviously you have your concentration and uh you know when you have a bfa it's a little more you have to take certain classes but in the sense of like i just everyone was like very in my experience very like loving and very like supportive obviously there was some tensions i think a little bit more in like musical theater land because my my <laughs> my roommate was in in that world and um yeah and, but still like they were still all friends and it, it was what it was but um yeah i i just don't really have any memories of like really being like pissed or like being like oh, i got to get it over blah 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 it was kind of like you auditioned, it happened if it happened. Um, or maybe that's just me. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, could be. I mean, it could be you just bring that energy to things you do. And and at Columbia, how does it work? I mean, so our, our frame of reference is every term you're in a show and you just do a, a, an audition kind of, I mean, you, you audition for the individual shows, but there's it's almost like a casting, I mean, it is, it's a casting pool. You audition generally speaking and then the directors you know talk it out for who they mm. want to cast but um how did it work at columbia did you do a show every term i did not do a show like a show show every term um i'm trying to remember it wasn't like that like where like you you auditioned and then they kind of picked it's like you audition for each individual show um what was cool was there were the directing majors that had kind of their different levels of shows. So they would do like one acts and then like when they were older, you know, would do a full play or yada, yada. And so there was a lot of opportunity. It wasn't just like the four main big shows. Um, and maybe that's why it felt like it wasn't too much of a competition because there were those directing shows as well. And so I don't know. I, I didn't do a show a term. I did at least one big one a year. Um, and then like little stuff all year round, you know, like be it a one act, be it um, like we had like 24 hour play festival, you know, like fun stuff like that as well. But I feel like, I feel like that um, Columbia has this sense of, and maybe I'm just making this up in my head, but like of being like the scrappier version of a conservatory like and that was my experience because we used to hang out at the Merle Ruskin doing our shows yes. right around from where Columbia was and so we and I always and, and people would poo-poo Columbia but I always often was like you know, they actually seem like they're working like I don't know what they're doing but they're like living their lives and it's like this scrappy city school yeah and from what I hear like there's less maybe it's, maybe it is about you. Maybe you're, you don't breed that. No, I'm like, maybe you don't breed like that's not your jam is the competition weirdness vibe, which is great. But like I did for the most part, 
hear that it wasn't as cutthroat fame like as uh, DePaul and some of the other conservatories that we've talked to. And I'm wondering also if that has to do with the fact that, and I'm a huge proponent of this, of the teachers being working artists all the time. Yeah. Right? Like that is the thing. When your instructors are doing the thing you want to do, I think they become more peer-like, meaning they can say, hey, dude, do this. And then you'll succeed. Did you, did you keep, did you love your teachers? Did you keep in touch with your teachers oh, yeah. and your classmates? How? Okay. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and I will say one of the things when I first decided to go to Columbia, I'm not going to lie. At first I was like, this is not the school experience I wanted. Like I wanted that like TV university, like enclosed campus, which is why I had applied to Northwestern. So I'm not going to lie. At first, I was kind of bummed because I was like, this is this is a city school where it's also like you're dropped in and you're like, you're an adult. You're an artist. Do it. But I think that's why in the end, um, I'm so grateful for it because it was right off the bat. Like, I'm going to rip the Band-Aid off. This is how it goes. Be prepared. Be ready. If you're not, that's on you. Like. And it was pretty cool, but I I loved all of my teachers, every single one of them. Jeff Ginsburg, I think he's I think he retired recently, but like he wrote my letter of recommendation for grad school last year, and like he like sent it to me, and I was like in tears because I was just like, oh my god, he spoke so highly of me. Like friends, like friends, and also they would be like, hey, there's this thing, like go to this call you'd be perfect for it. Sit there, wait for it. Doesn't matter how long it takes. You're good for it. Like go. Um, yeah. And so it, it was absolutely like now that I'm thinking back on it, like it seriously was like, it was so cool because it was just immediately like we're actors do it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was immediately about the work, which is what it needs to always be. So you're going to grad school. Well, we'll see. I am awaiting results. Um, so I applied, what are you trying to do? Where are you trying to go? So, um, me being an overachiever, I applied to USC, NYU and UCLA for screenwriting. So, so we'll see. Jen helped me with my essays because she's an angel. You know what I, I love, they, they were great. And also, um, I just realized that what happens to me is when I help people with their stuff, it makes me want to go to grad school there. (laughs) So then after I help you, I'm like researching all the shit, but your essays were great. And I, I guess my question, and I probably have asked you this off, you know, when we were just meeting, but I'll ask you on the record, like why, why grad school? Why, Mm. why screenwriting grad school? Well, going back to my thing of like, I'm, such an overachiever. I'm such like, I need to be the best. Like I need, I taught myself screenwriting, you know, from the sketch writing that I learned at second city. And then, um, you know, I've kind of been stumbling, fumbling, figuring it out on my own, which has been great and totally fine. And I must say like, not too bad. Um, but there's the element of, I kind of want somebody besides like my husband and my mom to be like, this is great because they can't offer me like how to fix it. You know, they're just kind of like, I don't know. It's cute. And so I, I'm kind of a masochist in that way where I'm like, I want someone to be like, this is shit. And this is what you need to do to fix it. I don't know. But I 
also have that thing, like I was saying, like I always wanted that university experience that I didn't get at Columbia. And so that's a little part of it too, is I was like, if I'm going to go back to school, I should probably, you know, do that. Like go to like one of those schools that has a campus that like that and whatnot. So, but really it's just to learn. It's just really to like solidify the craft. Um, Yeah. And not to mention, I mean, you know, everybody has to do some form of, uh, I don't really mean to call it pay to play, but I can't think, I can't think of another term right now. Boz and I spent a lot of time talking about all the cottage industry. That is the 1 million groups or programs or whatever that say that promise to get you to the next right. level in your career. If you're going to do that, which every, almost everybody has to, you might as well do it at an accredited university right. where you're going to be making connections with people who actually could hire you totally. down the road, as opposed to somebody just saying like, hmm, take our formatting class for 100%. I mean? Yeah. Cause my, my boss right now was kind of saying that she was like, well, why, you know, you don't need to spend all this money, go take this class. I'm like, but that class is still quite a bit of money. So I don't know. Like, we'll see. Um, I'm kind of at that place of like, I, I've put a lot out there and then we'll see what happens. And I'll cross that bridge when it when it comes. But um, I'm trying to let go of the results, you guys. And it yeah. is yes, that's important. That's <laughs> for important. everything, you know, like and that's so. Mm-hmm. I guess um, my next question uh, that comes to mind is why writing and why specifically it sounds like television is your jam. Yes. Right. Is television. Okay. So why, what is it about, um, about television? Cause you're, I think you're our first real television writer that we, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> uh, like tell me about, cause I'm just curious about how, why the medium of television and what do you hope to like, do with your television writing in terms of changing the industry or what is your jam? Well, what I love about TV, I mean, like I grew up a latchkey kid where like TV was my friend, like my mom was never home. My dad, you know, and so like I would sit at home and watch Laverne and Shirley and I love Lucy and flying nun, you know, and what I loved about it was that they, I could come back to them. So it wasn't just like a movie. There's that one story my friend, that's my friends over there, like done TV. I could keep coming back and keep like seeing how their lives were unfolding. And I just think that's really cool because it's like, we get this like sneak peek into somebody's life, right? Like stepping into somebody's shoes and just like, I don't know, like, especially characters that are not like us. We can go, I just Mm -hmm. think that like we get a little bit more compassion, a little bit more empathetic to like, oh, I can watch what your life is like and maybe understand you a little bit better, you know? And so for me, I love to write like female antiheroes, like, because as somebody like I'm sober and that's been like a very big journey for me, um, and as I was getting sober all the time, I was just like, I just wish you guys could see me when I'm alone and understand me and my, like when I'm struggling and blah, blah. And I feel like with TV, we can do that. Like, obviously we can do that in Mm -hmm. movies as well, but I think TV gives us the time to really, really be grounded and in it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. You're, you're, I mean, you're really 
no bones about it, developing relationships with characters over, over in some cases, years long tracts. I mean, that's, it's not, it's not hard to understand yeah. why you would have that affinity. How, how does, I've, I've heard it said where people who are working in the industry, like working their way up, I've heard it said a couple of different ways. I've heard it said, oh yes, making these connections and and then you just kind of are moving up the ladder. That's the way to go. And I've heard it said, I'm so good at my job that nobody ever wants me to do anything, <laughs> but this one thing that I really don't want to do, but I'm just doing so I can do the thing that I want to do. Where, where, where do you fit in that? I think, um, luckily I'm kind of in the middle of that. I think like right now I'm an assistant and I'm a good assistant, but I'm not a great assistant probably. Uh, <laughs> Um, I do think that working your way up the ladder is, I mean, that's just the way it is in LA. Like when I first moved out here, I, I got an office PA job and through that, I met all of these people. And through that, I met, you know, like that office PA job led me to the APOC who then worked on another show. And then I went on that show and I met the showrunner and he really liked me and I became a showrunner's assistant. And, you know, so it is about connections. Um, but I think there's a delicate balance of explaining what you are wanting. You know, I think a lot of times people are like, you can't tell them that you want to be a writer or you can't tell them blah, blah, blah. And I understand that like from the jump, right? Like don't say it in your interview and whatever, but I do think it does need to be said and known. Um, like my boss is fantastic. Uh, she knew that I wanted to be a writer before she hired me. Um, but she's always checking on me. Like, how's your scripts? You know, like, what are you working on? And we're waiting for her. She might be doing a new project or whatever. And so we're waiting to see. And then she's like, well, I, I'll bring you up with me if the opportunity happens. Right. But I'm still her assistant. Like I still do my job. So Right. I mean, I think LA is so weird in that way in that, uh, like, I was just thinking, like, when I got hired by Nick Cage, I couldn't <laughs> tell him I was an actor. They, right. But so um, his people told me not to say that. And so because of whatever. And so like, we ended up talking about how I ended, was working as the secretary at the Catholic Church rector in her check Catholic Church rectory and that's what he focused in on which is just a job Gina got me actually oh later years later he was like why didn't you ever tell me you were an actor oh boss you never told me that I didn't know that he said that to you and I was like <gasps> what did you say I like probably turned bright I, 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 I said and I told the truth I said your your team which was like 10 people told me to take it off my resume. Right. He goes, what? And I was like, it, it just doesn't, it's sort of like uh, the thing we think is gonna, is gonna ruin or make us is never the thing. So, and so he, who knows what would have happened? Like, look, if I had gone into the initial interview and said, I'm an actor, he might not have hired right. me. However, if it had been on the thing, he might've said, oh, well, maybe there's a part for you down the line and then thought of me. He was a producer. It didn't make any sense, but they told me, take it off. You have to. So I literally at that was back in the day where you had white out. I took <laughs> it off and then faxed it. I'm not shitting you from my home fax machine and faxed it to them without the acting on it. 
This is, is I love it. so LA is like the weirdest fucking place. Now I'm glad that my life was what it was. Yeah. But that's weird. And then the other thing that you made me think of, Jenna, was this idea of there is a fine line in this town. And I think you do a really good job of this, and so do I, of being a kind and genuine person and also asking for what we want. It's very tricky for women to do this. We're made to play these weird games where it's like, okay, like I'm not going to be too assertive and be like, I want to work for you as a, as your writer. You, I want to be in your writer's room. So instead saying things like, Hey, if there's ever a spot for me, like I'm totally willing to be of service, which is not that a terrible way to say something. It's just that men get away with being like, Oh, you're going to hire me one day. Like I want to be in your room one day and they're fine. So you're really good. And I think, all three of us are really good at sort of sussing out women I know are sussing out where the person stands and trying to uh, uh, sell ourselves without selling ourselves. Right. And that is sad, but it's also a really good skill to have because we know how to read a room, which is why we find your boss is probably like, Hey, Jenna, I will take you with me. You're a team player. You still do your job. Right. And I know you're a phenomenal writer, but it's, it's always like a, a finagling. It is. Sorts, it's you know? it's so interesting. Cause it's like, um, uh, what I tend to do too, and, and maybe this is good advice and maybe, I don't know, but like, I, cause I genuinely want to know, like, I would be like, Hey, I'm interested in writing. What do you suggest? Like, what do you, like, what should I do? What do you think I should do to like, kind of like get me there? So then it's out of like what you want, but you're not asking them to do anything for you specifically. You're asking for advice. You know, and I think that's really good, especially when you move to a new place to ask for advice because you don't know what's going on. Like, and I think part of it is, you know, uh, being in and all three of us are sort of in this self-helpy world. And I won't say more than that, um, but that that um, we are good at uh, like asking for for uh feedback Mm -hmm. or like inviting people into a process in a sort of more community way versus like you know so so we are able to yeah just not be weird about so like it comes down to like a lot of advice people say when you're meeting with managers showrunners don't be weird which is like (laughs) I get exactly what they're saying, but for someone who doesn't know what the fuck they're doing, that's a weird, that's a weird piece of advice because what does that mean? But I think the three of us kind of get what that means. You don't want to be an asshole. You don't want to be desperate. You don't want to be all the things, but like, it's a skill you learn because I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. So I, my, the other thing that I'm learning is like literally asking the one thing that, and I, I don't know where I learned this. Maybe it was my mother that always ask for an informational interview where there are Mm. no strings attached, where you're literally getting data from somebody. It has opened so many doors with showrunners. I cannot tell you, I don't know. It'll lead anywhere. I don't, but it has opened the door to get the data and, and for me to genuinely tell that person, I'm interested in what you have to say, because like you said, Jenna, I want to do what you're doing, or I'm curious, staying curious about stuff versus can you hire me right now? Well, you know what I mean? Anyway, I I think that's something though I learned 
from like the Chicago community, like definitely Columbia as well, is is to, to be prepared. Like if you're going to be asking someone for something or if you're going for something, be as prepared as you can so that when the opportunity arises, you're ready for it. You know, and that was such a big thing at Columbia. So good. Yeah. That does not happen in Los Angeles. Let let (laughs) me tell you something. People are not ready. So like people, I have friends that, that are, that are like younger and in this business and, and, or my students and they're like, Hey, uh, this person, um, uh, like said they wanted to, to meet with me, but they can't really mean that. Do they? And I'm like, "Uh, when did this happen? They're like two weeks ago. I'm like, Oh my God. Yes. They want to meet with you. (laughs) Write the email back. What are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, I've done the same shit. I've done the same shit, but I, 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 you can't, you gotta be ready for when the opportunity comes. I think you're right. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate your compliment that you're including me as somebody who knows how to read the situation. I I disagree. (laughs) I don't think I know how to read the situation. I'm because I have like two speeds, which is never tell you anything about myself and never make you feel in any way beholden to me for any reason whatsoever or can I have a job will you please give me a job I don't feel like I re- I mean not really that I'm being cheeky but like it, it is hard and, and in LA or entertainment I'll say I don't know any other profession that has this many unspoken rules right you know you want a job in finance you go to this school you call this person you play this sport then you have a, your job in finance and you ask for what you want. You may not get it, but it's, it's all, I'm not saying it's all transparent. Cause I'm, I know it's not, but it's so much, this is so murky. This entertainment thing is so yes. murky and you're just like guessing all the time about what you're supposed it's to like, do. Next. It's like, it's like totally right. And I, I feel like it is even the rules of like, um, would they ask for emerging writers to apply to something? Okay. And so then I apply and I've applied and it turns out everyone who gets the thing has already been staffed and has a, and has representatives. And I'm like, wait, this, this is, this is a lie. Mm -hmm. So you learn that like emerging, even words mean different things here. So emerging just basically means it can mean anything, but it's not true newbie. So like they don't want newbies. And so like, I thought it was a value that I was a newbie in this one way. And they were like, no, 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 actually we want someone that has some experience in has staffed once. And I'm like, well, that's not me. I, I, I'm like below a new, like, it's so funny. It's like, you're right, Gina. It, the, 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 there's all kinds of weirdness and like uh, navigating a system that's just super vague. Jenna, if you get, if your current boss gets the new um, opportunity and you go with her and you get accepted to grad school, what are you going to do? Gosh. Uh, um, truly, I think what I would do is I would go with my boss because that's that of saves course, me a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and also she has said like, you know, the, the opportunity, I will learn from it, you know, and, and I think she'll being in the room, I will learn what I need to learn. And um, I, I'm pretty quick at picking things up anyway. So I think it'll be good. We're supposed to find out this week. 
Ugh. So mm, fingers yeah. crossed. Fingers crossed. I mean, that's the other thing. The waiting in this business <laughs> is bonkers. It is honestly, you know, like when you when you audition for something, you know, then there's callbacks, director sessions, whatever. But there's still like a, a little bit of quickness, right? With this, I think we've been doing this since August. Like, uh, it's just like, somebody help. Like, somebody tell me. <laughs> like, I can't imagine yeah. how she feels, honestly. Now, I'm certain that this is not going to happen. But in the very, very rare case that you she, you, she doesn't get that job and you don't get into grad school, what are you going to do? Honestly, I just have to keep writing. I'm just going to keep writing. Yeah. And, like, I'm at the Groundlings right now. I... I did their core classes. I'm waiting to get into their writing lab. Um, and I'm just going to keep trucking along, you know, because it's like, I've tried to not do this stuff before. Like I've tried to have like, quote unquote, normal job, whatever. And I'm just not interested. Like I would rather be doing this. And, you know, I, I think Jen, I described it in my UCLA essay. It's like, I feel like it's a roller coaster where I'm just like chug, chug, chugging along. You know, you're going up the hill and right as you're about to go over that hump, you know, like sometimes you slide back down and it's so frustrating, but I'd rather try and keep getting over that hill than like get off the ride altogether. So, yeah. So that's that, yeah. you know, I've got a few projects. I think that's fantastic. And, um, and the other the- thing I just want to say is like, you guys, while you're talking, I'm thinking also about the, everyone that I came up with in Hollywood, my first go round, they all like ended up running studios and things. So the, the thing is true to keep. And here's the thing. Like I had the opportunity to, to go into development at his company. And I was like, Oh no, I just want to like answer the phone and like, like eat cookies at my desk. Like I could have, and I, I, it's not that I'm kicking myself, but what I am saying is what they always say, like, keep a group around you of like-minded people that are headed in the direction you are headed because you all, like Gina was saying, you all rise together. It is the truth. It's not even like something people say. I'm looking around. One of the people that I came up with ran Fox for a while. One of the, and so Mm. it's just, it's staying the course. If that's the course that you're supposed to be on, stay with it because people will will bring you along. Like your boss was saying, you will find people that will do that. And now I needed to go deviate and do a million other things apparently and deal with a lot of shit. But the point is that I think community is possible. And also um, there are, I guess I'm t- what I'm taking away from this too today is like, there are good people that will bring you along and help. And it's a matter of like, sticking with, yeah. Well, and finding the ones yeah. that, like you're saying, like that really do like vibe with you because I've worked with plenty of people that uh, no, like it's just, it's not a right fit. It's like dating, you know, it's just like, we don't see eye to eye and we can try and force it, but it's not cute. It's not fun and nothing good is going to come out of it creatively or, you know, uh, yeah, like it's cause there's so many different types of people, especially here in LA. What's really funny is, and I think Jen, you've said this before, but it's like, I find myself gravitating towards like so many Midwest people. So either they're Chicago people or they grew up in the Midwest. I don't know. Maybe because we're nice, but um, it's funny. Like you do find your tribe. Agreed. Like you find your people. And also I'm finding my people 
uh, in ways I never thought that I would in terms of, right, who's an ally, right? So I always assumed if someone looks like me and they were whatever, we were kind of similar, they were going to be my ally. That's not necessarily true. So like, I've been like, oh, they're Latinas. They're going to love me. No, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. That is not. So I, you find them in ways that you don't think mm-hmm. like, but I do gravitate towards Midwesterners. But mm-hmm. I also thought that like, oh my God, this person and I are going to be best friends. It's just like anything in life. I'm like, they're going to help me launch my career to the next level. And really it's been helpers from over here. Literally two of the showrunners that I've met have been through my fucking husband who has (laughs) nothing to do. He juggled with one of them in juggling club. And then they- Juggling club? And then there, well, yeah. And then he, he became best friends with the showrunner, Terry Schaefer. And then, and then the other one was someone in his men's group. So like, you just don't, and then my husband doesn't give a shit about any of this. So you don't know, but um, you find, we'll find our peeps. We're finding our peeps, yeah. you know? Stay for the miracle, people. Stay for the miracle. Yes. That's Stay, all I got to say. Stick around for the miracle. <laughs> don't yes. leave. Or as my husband likes to say, don't leave. It gets greater later. Oh, yeah. It's greater that's later. Good. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an undeniable ink production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you! Thank you!